listening to the Citizens Podcast from Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama. All right, so last week, as I shared, we heard from John preach from James 3, 13 through 18, that discussed wisdom from above, which is from God, versus wisdom from below, which is wisdom from this world. And so today we're going to look at an, another kind of duality of looking at friendship with the world versus friendship with God. And if you zone me out for the next however long I talk, I want you to remember just one big idea that I want to think through this whole entire time, and that's this. Friendship with the world is chasing all that we want. Friendship with God is believing he's all that we need. So let's jump into verses 1 through 5 to work through what friendship with the world means. So in verse 1, James says that the sign that you have a friendship with the world is by first evaluating what's going on in your own heart, primarily with conflict. So um, we're going to look at what the root cause of conflict is. James addresses it quickly in verse 1. If you can put that on the screen. It says, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? So the answer to what causes conflict is not this or that. It's actually you. You are likely the main cause of conflict because conflict within us leads to conflict around us. This is not dismissing any wrongdoing. Or I know sometimes we're in situations or conflict where people have really wronged us and hurt us. By no means am I dismissing that. But this is different than how many of us think about the root of conflict because generally... I know for me, when I think about conflict, I definitely want to blame the person next to me, the circumstances, you maybe misunderstood me, but James is saying that we are the root cause of it. And for me, I don't know about you, but my tendency is to be a flopper. Do we have any people who like basketball or soccer? If you don't, you know, just give me a pity hand up. All right, great. <laughs> so in basketball or soccer, even if you're not familiar with it, uh, there's something that's really obvious if you watch even for five minutes in modern day professional sports. So um, there's always some players who want to persuade the ref that they have been fouled against. So have you guys seen the guys that just flop? They'll, if someone just bumps into them, like a feather will hit them, and they'll fall on the ground and hope that the whistle will blow and they get a call their way. For me in my life, as much as I hate to admit it, I would call myself a flopper in that way, where I might exaggerate the wrong that's been done to me in order to uh, make plead a case to God that I'm doing okay or to plead a case to you uh, that something was much bigger than it was and that you were the problem. And so for you, that, that could be the same thing for you. You call it the blame game or pointing fingers. You, even with Adam and Eve, they did the very same thing. They, they blamed each other for the sins that they committed. They blamed God for, for giving them um, each other and giving them uh, temptation. But another tendency for some of us is maybe, not, maybe you're not a flopper. Maybe you're just pretty strong, but you're a scorekeeper or a judge, as, as some of you might have heard that term before. And this is where you keep score of what others have done and evaluate their worth by what they've done right or wrong as you work to fit them to match whatever your criteria is for success or loyalty. This is you being the judge over them when you do that. And continuing from verse one, this inner conflict leads to our desires becoming demands of us. This is that, that idea of I want it, so I must get it. There's so many really catchy songs that do that very same thing. Like I want it, I gotta have it. I can't sing those songs very well. But if you listen to a few pop songs, you'll get that reference, right? Let's look at verses two and three. It says, you desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet or you become jealous of and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and, and don't receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. So in verse 2, we actually see the danger of following your heart. Following your heart turns our desires into demands. And we can see that even here in verse 2. It says, you desire, but then you murder. You covet, and then you fight. Just like how you think on and off about something new that you want. 
right? If, if there's something that you see that's really appealing to you first, that new thing is just a really fun idea. Like, yeah, I would love to get those pairs of pair of shorts. Oh yeah. Hey, you know, I, it's it's cold. Maybe some pair of pants. You know, <laughs> I need a new pair of pants. This is like the only pair of pants I wear nowadays. So don't look at me too often about that. But um, you know, new pair of pants. And so one day it's just an idea. And then eventually, as you see more ads, you hear more people talking about it, I'm sharing with you how much I need these pants. You can eventually convince yourself that you really, really need those pants. You got to have some new pants. You got to have the best brand. And what that does is it's really just marketing 101. You're telling, that's what marketing does to you. It goes in big ways or in really, really subtle ways over time to make you think that you really need something. And that's what sin does as well. Um, sin is like those ad campaigns or those voice tracking things or those targeted ads that come your way where making you tell you that you need to do something and you need to act upon it. So that's what James is hitting on here. And so in verses two and three, James emphasizes that motives matter. Also, God cares about the heart. So in verse two, it says that even if we're not asking God for anything, why do we expect to get what we're not asking for in the first place, right? You see that says, you do not have because you don't even ask. And then verse three, it says, you're even asking wrongly to God. So he's not going to just give it to you. And if we think that's really harsh of God, I actually want to challenge us to think of our friendships. So in, in friendships, it's hard to help someone when they don't express their need. That's right. So if you're just acting like everything's all good, how do I know how to help you? And how do you know how to help me if I'm in some in need of help? And even sometimes if, if for parents, there's, there's several parents in this room. And even if you're not a parent, you were a kid once or you know a parent. You likely encourage your child to ask for something when they need it. And if, if they actually ask, you do your best to see if, what, if they really mean what they say. I feel like I do that all the time with my daughter. I'm like, she tells me something, and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if she's trying to manipulate me to get something later. Um, and I usually always fall for her tricks, honestly. She's two. It's kind of sad of me. But when we ask for God to change something or keep something, God is clearly aware of our heart in that. And so James is making it clear in these verses that God is not a genie, he's not a butler, he's not a cheerleader, or any other occupation or description that'll serve your desires. God can't be tricked, he can't be fooled, he can't be manipulated. And so because James is drawing off of Jesus knowing our hearts, um, let's look at some examples of Jesus saying that he knows our hearts. So in Mark 2, 8, it says, why do you question these things in your heart? Luke 6, 8, it says, but Jesus knew their thoughts even before they said them. These are, these are kind of snapshots of, of some verses here, some snippets. Luke eleven seventeen says, but knowing their thoughts, he said to them. Luke 16, 15 said, and he said to them, you are those who justify yourselves before them, but God knows your hearts. For what is exalted among men is an abomination to the sight of God. And there's so many verses in the Old Testament and the New Testament that show that God knows everything about our hearts and what we want. He's the God who created us. How could he not? Yeah, I, I know there's a temptation for us to, to act like he doesn't know. So church, I want to challenge you to look into your heart today. Where are you allowing the desires of your hearts turning into demands for yourself? Where are you treating God like a genie and you should do whatever you say? What relationship or circumstance are you holding him, holding against him even? As Justin often says in sermons, maybe you'll catch on to this next time. He may sneak it in later on, but that you're putting God on trial for. Because church, if our desire leads to demands in verse four, we can see the consequences of pursuing that. Let's look at verse four. James gets real here. He says, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity, opposition with God? 
Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. So what we see is that our selfishness, being friends of the world, leads to becoming enemies of God. James calls his readers adulterous people. Does this mean that this is sexual adultery, like as we think of a marriage? Not necessarily. Instead, it's showing that living selfishly or sinfully is like cheating on God by failing to love him with all of our heart, which leads us to becoming enemies of his. So when we make choices solely for ourselves, it offends our God. Why? Because when I do what I want, I'm showing God my disregard for him while chasing my love for me. So this is friendship with the world, chasing what we want. This is spiritual adultery. To do this is to go against what Jesus says. And and as we think about friendship with the world, I just want to just make some clarity. Like, this is not legalism. There are some things you might have heard in, in your growing up or your childhood or maybe your, your friends who are Christians. This isn't uh, being a friend of the world isn't just like you have to throw away your iPhone to not be a friend with the world or to neglect every person who, who doesn't follow Jesus. Or you can't listen to your boss or like an expert in the field because they don't follow Jesus. Um, no, this, this um, is instead just chasing the ways of the world, like we talked about, that the desires of your heart become a demand of you. So church, um, something that's, that's great to hear for us is that God loves us so much that he's actually jealous of our affections. Look at verse five. It says, or do you suppose it is no purpose that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? The Old Testament in all of the Bible is God, the husband pursuing his bride, us. The whole thing. Because God made us, because God loves us, because he desires a relationship with you, all of scripture points to his willingness, his sacrifice, what he's willing to do to show how much he cares for you. So he's jealous of your time and affections and everything around you. How could he not be the God of the universe who made you want you to be with him? If that sounds crazy to you as well, like just think of the people that you love. Like we're all friends or family members of someone. We all probably like at least one person that we want to talk to and be around. And that person also might like to be around us. And so um, don't you want that person to be around you? Aren't you jealous of their time? Not maybe in a selfish or twisted way, but just because you love them. You want them to be around you because it's out of genuine love. And so for me, I'm jealous of the affections of my wife and her time. I'm jealous of my children and their time. I'm jealous of my dear friends, many of you in this room. I'm jealous of your time just because I love you. But the great thing is, is that God in his jealousy doesn't have mixed or twisted motives like me. He doesn't have mixed or twisted motives like you. Instead, he just loves you and he wants you to trust him. God, he made us in his likeness and he looked at you, church, and he said, this is good. So if friendship with the world is chasing all that we want, what does friendship with God look like? Let's look at verses 6 through 10 together. So and, and as we can see here at the beginning of verse 6, James shows us that while our affections pull us to chase the love of self and world, our loving and jealous God provides more grace. And it's really clear right here. Let's look at the beginning of verse 6. It says, but he gives more grace. God gives us way more grace than we deserve. God's overwhelming grace is greater than the gargantuan amount of sin. If we're being real with ourselves, if you look at verses 2 and 3, I need to be real with you guys, right? I covet things. I want things I can't have. I desire so much. I think about the agenda for myself. 
And even if we think we're super humble, there's likely that there's so many things of what can best serve me. And with those thoughts consuming us so much, that's sin overtaking our lives. But yet God's grace and God's love is far greater than all of those minutes you've spent obsessing over stuff, all of those, those times that you've acted rebelliously against him. God's love for you is so much greater. He gives you more grace. So the love of God displayed in the person of work of Jesus is deeper and wider and stronger than the depths of your sins and my sins. And because God gives more grace, look at what the the next part, the second half of verse 6 says. Let's check it out. It says, therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. God gives us the greatest gift, his grace, when we stop living like we are God and instead humbly admitting our need for God himself. That is humility. Because when we worship our creator, the king of the universe, the only one who can save us from our self-destructive ways of living, as, as, we, as we read in verses 1 through 5, only then we can experience his love and his grace. And so let's ask ourselves this question. What does it mean to be humble and have friendship with God? So James gives us some commands. We're going to read here. We're going to power through them, some commands, and the results of those commands in the following verses, verses 7 through 10. And one thing I would just want to note to you before reading and really clarify is that these warnings aren't just here for the sake of rule keeping or to like some kind of manipulative scare tactic. Like obviously in a second, when you read these verses, as you read them before, like they should scare you, no doubt. Like we should have a healthy fear of God. But instead, doing these very commands that James is going to share is actually an invitation to experience God's love and grace and the good life that Jesus talks about all throughout um, Scripture. Let's take a look at verses 7 through 10. So let's look at some of the commands he says here. So verse 7, he says, submit to God, as you can see there. And verse, um, also in verse 7, he says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Some other commands are draw near to God and then he'll draw near to you. Cleanse your hands is a command and purify your hearts is another command. Weep before God is another command. Laughter, turn your laughter into mourning. Turn your joy to gloom is another command. And so, uh, one quick thing on that verse. God loves when you laugh. He loves when you're joyful. He doesn't want you to always just be sad and, and downtrodden. But what he's saying is that we shouldn't make light of sin. If, if, something, if something that God weeps over, we should weep over it too. We shouldn't laugh or be sarcastic about it or say, yeah, whatever, they do it too. Instead, God wants us to weep over the things that he weeps over and rejoice over the things that he rejoices over. And in verse 10, it also says, humble yourself before God and he will exalt you. So if you look through these verses, James is saying that obeying the commands of God will have beautiful results. And those beautiful results are are clear here for us. The devil fleeing from you. That's a great result. God drawing near to you. What a wonderful result that is. And God exalting you to heaven. Also another amazing result. So to experience life, the true good life, these positive results with our creator, our God, we must resist the devil, as verse 7 says. Because Satan, he's the owner of sin in all of the world. And his sole mission, church, is to manipulate you and to destroy you. His motive is to make you think that God doesn't love you and to follow yourself is a better way of living. To follow something else is a better way of living. And really just dismissing God altogether is a better way of living. And so for me, resisting the devil looks like trusting God and not boil down in anger. If uh, Honestly, I, I want to boil down in anger if uh, something doesn't go well at work. 
I don't get promoted for something that I'm really excited about. A new opportunity doesn't come my way. And some of you, it's kind of funny even being here. Some of you have been my boss or I've been your boss or you've been led me, you know, whatever. So you know that that's also a struggle for me that I want to, to grow in those areas. For me, it's also not lashing out in anger at friends or our family or our people that I love if, when I really want them to, to drive a point home on how much they hurt me, right? As if you've ever been so wronged or you think you've been wronged, so you just want to drive home how much they hurt you and to, to hurt them in such a way that they just don't want to speak to you or they feel crushed. For me, it's also not getting distracted with technology or sports or really anything doesn't matter as much as worshiping Jesus. And for me, it's also not treating my children as a burden or an inconvenience, but instead as a great gift from God. So even if they change my little schedule or my time, I can see them as a great, wonderful gift from the Lord. So what is it for you, church? Maybe it's some of those same things I shared about. Maybe there are other things. I, I would encourage you today to write those things down. What is the devil making you think is better than following Jesus? Because if friendship with the world is believing that he's all that we need, let's look at these final verses on how to keep relationships together. Let's read verses 11 and 12. It says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother or judges his brother speaks evil against the law and judges the law. But if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There's only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and to destroy. But who are you to judge your neighbor? So in James, he's saying to keep relationships together is to speak charitably about one another, not judging. So there's a lot of knots here, but I want to highlight what he actually is telling us to do as well. Um, Christians should be known for not gossiping or damaging the reputation of our brothers and sisters, of anyone that we come in contact with, actually, not just your, your church members or your, your social club or people you work with. We should be known for not slandering them, because when we judge, we are speaking evil about the judge and the law. Because as I shared before, right, that God made every single person in his image and he loves them. When we are slandering them, wanting to tear them down, we ourselves are becoming the judge. And in that moment where we are wanting to tear down the person next to us, we are saying, God, I know what you said, but I don't care. I really think that person is blank. And there are many examples throughout the Bible um, that, that talk about us um, needing to love our brothers and sisters. In John 13, 34 through 35, this is one of Jesus' biggest commands, the new commandment that he gives everyone. Um, he says, the new commandment I give you is this, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Love is what keeps community together. Love and devotion to Jesus is what keeps friendships and relationships together. God is the only judge and lawgiver, so who are we to give ourselves the title of judge? So to keep relationships together, though, we need to look at the greatest friend ever, and I hope by looking at this greatest friend ever, it'll help you in your friendships, too. Let's look at our greatest friend. Our greatest friend is Jesus, folks. The great news for us is that God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, to this earth to live a perfect life, die on a tree or a cross, for his children and rose again to defeat the death of sin. Our humble, loving, faithful Savior left the holy heavens above to experience the lowest of lows to come down to earth so that you can have life with him. 
And if you think I'm just saying it, just to say it, Jesus actually calls his disciples, those who followed him, his friends while he was on earth. Look at John 15, 13 through 15. It says, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Talk about love. Talk about the greatest friend that could ever live. As I said, the God of the universe, Jesus, who sat above in heaven, came down and looks at us and says, I want to be your friend. And so as I think about friendship, actually, like God had to rework a lot of ways that I view friendship. I know in my early adulthood, often I would want to wish that my friendships would be just like high school or just like college. I would want a bunch of friends who liked Jesus or loved Jesus, and we did all the same things. And what I caught over time with myself as I was, as I was moving to a different town um, in a new city, I became really disappointed in other people and really hurt and really scared to have friendships. And over time, what I actually learned is I really didn't know how to be a friend to other people. And so I would, I would hide from myself. And even a good friend and, and mentor of mine challenged me to read books on friendship because I was once someone who had a ton of friends, and I came to a point where I felt like I had no friends. But what I learned about myself is that through that time of struggling with friendship and learning about friendship is that Jesus really is the greatest friend. Even in our loneliness, he wants to be with you. So how many meaningful friendships that you have are on the basis and love of Jesus? I noticed for myself during those times in my life, all I was focused on were the funny jokes we had together or the sports teams we cheered for, just some ongoing joke that we had 10 years ago, but we actually don't know anything about each other's life right now. Do you have any friends like that, like random group texts and threads like that? And if you don't, good for you. But that's, that's kind of what was happening to me in that way. But I want to ask you, yeah, how many meaningful friendships do you have that are solely founded on Jesus? I also want to ask you, how can you love the people around you, your church community, your friends, your, your family, with the driving force being Jesus? Because you love and serve Jesus, you delight in who he is, I hope that it would drive you to love everyone around you just as because you are so secure in the fact that God loves you. So this is what I'm excited about, really, in our church. I've been, I've been loving to see the last couple of years of being a part of this church, um, and even as our church is growing, that that is actually a theme of our church, um, is friendship. People growing together, living out the Christian faith together, and we see that within our community groups and church-wide, even in our trunk retreat. And so I pray that we'll be known for our friendship and how we love people. We're not just like super nice, you know, you know, Southern folk who love to say really nice things and yes, sir, and no, sir. But instead, we are people who love Jesus so much that we just can't wait to see each other and to rejoice and celebrate what God has done together. Because church, we should be judged for chasing what we want as we've been talking about. Yet God, the final judge, gives more grace through his son, as we read in verse six, by inviting us to experience him forever. So you, if, if you're not a Christian today, you can experience that love of God and life with him by first, admitting your love for yourself and what this world offers. And second, asking God to forgive you for your sins so that you can live a faithful life of following him. And if you'd like to talk to me about what this means or maybe a friend next to you that invited you here, um, I know that myself or anyone would love to talk to you about what it means to follow Jesus and to trust him wholeheartedly. And if you're a Christian, let's just serve as an invitation once again. 
If you feel like you're downtrodden and out, you're like, man, I've really just been doing whatever I want. God gives more grace, remember that. And he's inviting you to trust him with right now. It's okay that you have not had it all together the last few weeks, or maybe you came into this church and you committed a sin against your, your family or yourself or against God, most importantly. But let this serve as an invitation to you once again, that the Lord Jesus loves you and he's inviting you into something special, and that is the good life with him. So let's remember today that friendship with the world is chasing all that we want, but friendship with God is believing he's all that we need. You've been listening to the Citizens Church Podcast. Special thanks to Murphy DX, who recorded our theme music, and who mastered these tracks for us. If you'd like to learn more about Citizens Church in Birmingham, Alabama, you can visit us on our website at citizensbhm.com or on the usual suspects, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram.